If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour well, hello there, and welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Uh, I am Keith Giles, the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, Matthew DeStefano and Jamal Javanji. Hey guys, say hi and introduce yourselves. Hi, this is Jamal Javanji, author of Free to Love. It's a pleasure to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour with everyone. And this is Matt DeStefano. Um author of From the Blood of Abel and two other books, uh, From the Blood of Abel's on Choir Publishing. Um, we, are, uh, we are sponsored now by uh, the Unfundamentalist uh, blog. And it used to be uh, the Unfundamentalist Christian blog on Patheos, and now they have their own blog. But they are uh, a group focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and is dedicated to opposing the toxic power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. I just love that. Um, you can find them online at facebook.com uh, backslash unfundamentalist or uh, uh, read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. And um, I just love those guys. I wrote for them while they're on Patheos for uh, a, a year or so, maybe a year and a half, and uh, they just put out some great, great stuff. So we are uh, really happy and proud to be uh, sponsored by them. Yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. You guys, are uh, we ready to get into that old uh, heretic of the week now? I think it's that time. It is that time. It's the heretic of the week. All right. So our heretic of the week, uh, this episode is a guy named Michael Servetus. So if you are a Calvinist, uh, or um, maybe you used to be one, uh, you might know who this guy is. Um, Michael Servetus was um, someone who was actually considered a heretic. He was arrested. Uh, I think he escaped at least once, maybe twice. Uh, eventually, though, he was apprehended. And um, his great crime was mainly that he denied the uh, the view of the Trinity, the Christian you know, view of the Trinity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was more of a modalist. So he believed uh, quickly. In other words, if if you're familiar with the the belief of Trinity, you know, the Trinity, uh, his belief was that uh, God, there was one God, and that God simply almost sort of like changed, you know, clothes or put on a mask or forms or something. So modalism believes basically that you know uh, in the Old Testament God was the Father. Uh, that in the New Testament, he became the Son, and that after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he ascended and then became the Holy Spirit. But it's uh, he basically was just the one God taking on different forms or modes. So that was uh, that was his view. Um, and uh, he had a few other views that weren't very popular uh, either, but that was probably one of the main ones. And uh, one of the things about his uh, martyrdom was that John Calvin was very, very instrumental uh, in his uh, execution, and John Calvin also very famously uh, had written and said that not only did he approve of Michael Servetus being put to death, he wished that he could have been there in person uh, to light the fire himself. So it's um, it's a pretty pretty sad picture. Uh, something that I, I didn't know until we started looking this up, uh, when we decided we were going to let uh, Michael Servetus be our heretic of the week. Was I discovered that he was in addition to being a 
wonderful heretic. Uh, he was the first European to, to correctly describe the function of pulmonary circulation in the human body. Uh, he was a polymath versed in many sciences, including mathematics, astronomy, meteorology, geography, human anatomy, medicine, and uh, this is for you, Matt, pharmacology. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was an interesting guy, unfortunately put to death because he uh, didn't line up with what, what Christians believe. This is what's interesting, too. He's probably one of the uh, first, because most martyrs before this were martyred by the Catholic Church. Um, here's a martyr of the Protestant Christian Church. Uh, so they were not so much really changed, unfortunately, uh, in the Reformation, at least when it com came to putting people to death that you disagreed with theologically. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to me <clears throat> that Michael Servetus is, you know, by and large still to this day seen as a heretic. I mean, he had he had some yeah. um, questionable, obviously, I mean, this was all be, at least be up for debate, but questionable ideas about the Trinity that, you know, that modalism, obviously, the, the, the belief that, you know, God changes forms, Father, Son, to Holy Spirit as a believing in distinct persons. And obviously that, you know, this has been a subject's debated, but to label someone a heretic and then have them burned alive for having mm -hmm. a, kind of a, just a different view than the, than the majority have about how the, how the Godhead, so to speak, functions is interesting. It's kind of comical to me, honestly, because the guy who wanted him to be burned alive that wanted to participate in that John Calvin is not seen as a heretic. Right. And, and it's like, wait a minute, yeah. this guy. And we, I mean, we got big name pastors who write lots of books and, you know, was a part of like crafting the Nashville statement that like would claim to belong in the camp of a guy who, literally advocated burning this man alive. I'm not saying yeah. that guys like John Piper would agree with John Calvin's, uh, you know, agreement with murdering Michael Servetus, but John Calvin certainly agreed with the murder of, yes. of Michael Servetus. And that somehow is not heresy. <laughs> that is a mystery to me. To be fair, didn't yeah. Calvin actually want him beheaded? Yes, you're right. Yeah, he did. Uh, Calvin and a few other ministers asked that he be beheaded, but I think that at the time, um, burning at the stake was the only real legal recourse, so that request to have him beheaded was sort of uh, almost a political thing. Like, oh, it's much more humane, we should behead him, but the truth is they didn't have any legal authority to behead him, they only right. had legal authority. And I say, that sort of, uh, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, because I mean... Yes, it's, I guess it's less gruesome, but still, I mean, good God, we're advocating for someone to be beheaded. Um, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so it says here that uh, Servetus, Servetus was burned alive atop uh, a, a burning pyre of his own book. So they piled up a bunch of his books, which of course were heretical, uh, and used his books. They burned his books and then burned him on top of them. Uh, and it says that, according to historians, Michael Servetus' last words were, Jesus, Son of the Eternal God, have mercy wow. on me. That's powerful. Wow. Really sad. Oh, amazing. Well, guys, on that bright note, um, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure if, if I've ever mentioned this. Um, it's actually been something mm -hmm. I, I mean to mention that we really need to talk about. I feel like a little bit more than we do. But did you guys know that we have... Um, a heretic hotline. Give it to him. Give him that number. Seriously, we have a we have we have a heretic hotline, and I have the number right here with me. Bring it. 
It's um, when did this happen? It's That's two. Crazy. Yeah, it is. It's it's amazing, but it's two four zero, the number three, heresy two four two four zero three heresy or two four zero three four three seven three. Seven nine and okay, that's the number, guys. And one of the funniest moments when I go back and listen to some of these episodes, I kid you not, this, I do sometimes break out laughing out loud, um, and that takes a lot for me to do that. And one of the things I think is the funniest <laughs> thing that that ever happened on our podcast is when Matt Distefano, because <laughs> I made a mistake and I said, "Hey guys, can we queue up?" Because uh, we can get text on the hair to cut line. I kind of made a mistake. I was like, hey, can we queue up? Just, I was laughing thinking about it right now. Can we queue up um, a text uh, from the hair to cut line? And uh, Matt's like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you can't really queue up a text. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of hard. <laughs> it's so funny. It's anyway, tough. so we have um, we do have we do have some text that got um sent in to the heretic hotline in addition to a, um, a voicemail message. So we're going to, we're going to get into all three of those today, but like, can we queue up those texts? Please? Yeah, let's queue this one up. So uh, our first text was actually a follow-up from, uh, from Ron Smith. And um, he says, I was chuffed to hear my, ne- my text pop up on uh, HHH episode five. That's heretic happy hour episode five. I was a little disappointed that Matt jumped on my use of the term torture I do realize I substituted substituted torture for torment, and that's just an asinine mistake on my part. So if uh, if you guys don't remember, um, Ron texted uh, about penal substitution atonement theory and then said the statement, if he never intended to torture anyone but Jesus to pay for sin is God a masochist. And uh, I kind of jumped on that and said, well, God didn't intend to torture or torment anyone. I think he uh, the, the son... Um, came to reveal the, the will and the heart of the Father. Um, but, uh, Ron, your, your text goes on, and, and I think what we should have mentioned is that you were sort of speaking in the third person, like you were playing devil's advocate, and you don't actually any longer believe the penal substitution atonement theory. So I think that that um, we do realize that. Sorry we didn't. I didn't um, pay too much attention to that, and I kind of jumped all over that. But... Um, yeah, just to clarify, I, th- I think we do realize that you were sort of speaking in the um, maybe your former self or many, maybe many of our former selves who believed that, that theory. But uh, um, thank you for uh, that text. And at the end, you do ask, you all published by Choir Publishing, the uh, HHH theme song invites us to join the choir, Subliminal Persuasion at Work here. Thanks for all. And... Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's some subliminal messaging. There's some marketing scheme, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are. People have been paying attention. <laughs> They're on to us, guys. They're on to us. So, yeah, we also got a text. Uh, I don't know who this... I don't think we know who this one's from, but there was a text that someone sent in saying, Have you noticed those weekly gatherings in your town where they romanticize a torture device and sing creepy songs that praise a heinous state execution of an innocent individual. It seems worth mentioning, but it could just be me. And that is a great insight. I don't know who sent that, but uh, thank you for calling that out. That is exactly right. Yeah, and that, a little creepy. very insightful. I really enjoy that. Are we ready to queue up the next one? Let's queue up some uh, voicemail messages. Yeah. Hey, this is Ron from Missouri. I uh, just listened to episode four of the podcast. That was just awesome. Just awesome. Great, great stuff there. Thank you so much. 
I uh, really like the cuss jar thing. That, in light of this episode, it's going to be a tidy little money maker. And I want to tell you, when has the church ever backed away from a tidy little money maker? I think you guys are onto something. That's all I got. Bye. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yes. Well, to be fair, we are donating it, but right. Yeah. Well, we just might pocket. We we might pocket it, right? And tell everyone we're donating it. <laughs> well, the money's coming from you, so it's oh, it's already sh- in your pocket right now. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you want to move on to the next one? All right. So, yeah, last one. We got one more. One more, brothers. I'm concerned. I'm concerned and I'm fired up. I'm fired up because you know scriptures are fire breed. <laughs> and I know I know this, and you know you know this, but you're choosing to forget it. So I've called in here to remind you about these sacred words. Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. But in these last, last days, he has spoken to us by a book. (laughs) Only a book. End of story. The word of the Lord. Now, receive my correction with love. Thank you. God bless. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Wait, I think think, uh, that caller... First of all, thank you, caller, uh, for... I don't know who that was, but thank you for um, that that voicemail. I really enjoy your accent, but also, um, I think he was quoting something from the scripture, uh, from, from the yep. book of Hebrews. I believe he was quoting, I recognize that part, you know, in the last, you know, last days God spoke to us through his son, but th- then he added something on the end of that. Like in these last, last days, God now speaks to us through a it's, book. It's and from that second I'm not Hebrews. very familiar with. Well, yeah. Uh, second assumptions. <laughs> oh. I think it's second assumptions chapter three. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the one. Well, that kind of leads us, I think, into our topic, right? The, um, the this whole idea, because because yeah, of course, he's doing this tongue in cheek, and what he's saying is, uh, yeah, the scripture does say that in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, but it, we've added to that statement the idea more just in practice, I think, and I say we, I think, I just mean Christianity, evangelical Christianity, as a movement has added this sort of uh, parentheses that says, yeah, yeah, but what we mean is he speaks to us through a book. And we talked, our last podcast, we, we were touching on that a lot. Uh, that was our theme of like, you know, uh, is the Bible the only way that God can speak to us? But then we wanted to do this podcast, um, and our topic is looking at, um, you know, is, can we know, can we know Christ or can we know God um, outside of the scriptures? Because this comes up all the time. I, I engage people all the time on this subject, and uh, and whenever I try to say to them, Hey, we don't worship a book. We worship a, a person. We worship uh, Jesus. Um, you know, and then then they'll come back at, at me with this statement of, "Well, Keith, you can't. How can you even know Christ apart from scriptures?" Right. So we wanted to take time to do a podcast specifically on that question. Um, can we know? Is it possible to know Jesus or to know God apart from the scriptures? And I had some thoughts on that, but I was curious. What, what do you guys think about that? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's—I think the, the simple answer is yes, I, we can know Christ um, outside of the Scriptures. But maybe I'll problematize it and say that to know the story of Jesus, like the first century Jew, I, we do need the Scriptures, because how else are we going to read the story? I mean, how else are we going to— I guess we, if it was all oral tradition still, like I, I suppose 
that we can just pass the story of Jesus on, which is what they were doing in the first century and second century. And but um, I would say yes, we can know Christ outside the scriptures, but we do. The scriptures are very beneficial. Uh, they are very helpful in us. Yeah. Um, reading the opinions of the writers of how they told the Jesus story. Um, now, where I think we get hung up is that those those the Jesus story in the four Gospels is is inerrant. Like the story that they told, like the writer of Matthew and Mark and Luke and and the fourth Gospel. Uh, we tend to approach those as if the story themselves is Jesus rather than the story of Jesus. So mm-hmm. that's where I think we do need um, we do need to go outside the scriptures um, to find God and, and the Christ within, which would be different than I think the Christ, the Jesus, the man who lived and walked the earth. So I I would say we need both. Um, Jamal, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Actually, and, and your point, I think, is, is really important, uh, Matt. <clears throat> and I think it's difficult to know the story of Jesus apart from the writings. Now, again, um, I want to get into this, the idea of the Bible for this. And that's a, obviously we're going to do an entire episode on that. But I think it would be very difficult to know the story of Jesus apart from the written writings or accounts that we have in the Gospels about his life, for sure. But um, but I don't think – I actually think the Bible makes it very difficult to actually know Christ. It's actually, actually, it's a very, it's a hindrance to knowing Christ. Yeah, please. So, and let me explain that. <laughs> the, the, yeah, explain that. Uh, the Bible itself, and I, I've said this, and we'll get into this in other episodes, you know, even further. That I'm convinced that the Bible actually doesn't even exist. It is not an organic and a natural thing. The Bible was literally put together in the fourth century by a select group of people who were speaking for a select group of people. It really did, did not exist in a, in, a, in a fluid way from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, the 66 books that we have. You know, it just did not exist that way. Somebody pulled that out of literally their ass and put it together in, in, a, in, a, in a thing. And now we, we refer to it. It's really a fourth century set of collection of documents. It didn't exist that way. So that's, I think, a misnomer. Secondly, when it comes to the writings, now these historical accounts where people are writing down, you know, the the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, even the acts of the apostles, and uh, some of the letters that we have, you know, that's contained in the New Testament. Yeah, those are all valid. And those would, would, would have still been there. We can read those things and we can know the story of Jesus in that. But the reality of Christ... Um, you don't actually have to know the historical person of Jesus to be to know Christ, because Christ mm-hmm. is an internal reality that you have access to, that people have always had access to internally in their inner being. That's obviously controversial, but that is the reality. Jesus actually showed up, and he operated in that reality, this internal nature, and then he told the Jews who obviously didn't understand this, he said, hey guys, um, this kingdom you've been waiting for— it's all. It's in your midst. It's actually within you. You don't even know it. So this reality of Christ is is there. The writings have always gotten in the way of knowing this inner place. It got in the way for the Jews who were like focused on the writings, mm-hmm. 
but they was already there. Like, so Jesus taught about this from nature, from these different places. Um, and he, and he taught us how to go inside. He demonstrated what that's, that looks like. He demonstrated how to like see the Christ in all of the created realm. Uh, and he told stories about that, but the writings always got in the way of that. Um, yeah. And I'll just go back to, uh, something you said, Jamal, you assumed that there were 66 books of the Bible, right? I mean, that, as Protestants, that's just what we say, right? Right, right. But there's, but, yeah. but if, I mean, there, you know, if we're Catholics, it's, I think, 80, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. And, 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 and the Ethiopian Coptic has 81 because they have the book yeah. of Enoch. And so it's like, it, it always raises or begs the question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I know this is, this is our next episode, I believe, but, why why 66 books is that why is that the bible why isn't the bible 80 books well it just depends on our assumed tradition right or whatever tradition we're in so it it's just Mm -hmm. it gets so wonky when we when we say oh we have to have this book well which book um because different groups are going to assume different things and so that that just problematizes things further when we say everything that we must know about god comes from these scriptures um that being said, I mean, where where else other than Christ within? Where else? Where else could we find Christ? Um, what? Yeah, and I, if I can jump in here real quick, I think when yeah. you meet people, I, I think what really blew blew the the doors off this, so to speak. I remember traveling to different parts of the world. I remember being in um, in China uh, um, and just like experiencing um, just some time with like underground uh, church believers, you know, people that were, um, and I, that really is some of these folks, honestly, like I've heard, I used to read stories about them, but I actually met them. And when I met them, I was like, wow, these people have never read the Bible. Like most of these, and like the stories they would tell about their experiences with God, they were, they were, their, their point of reference was internal and they would talk about these experiences and none of it came from, but if it reminded me of a lot of things I've read in the New Testament about people who were having these encounters with God, and obviously it it it, it flowed along those lines in a, in a in a huge way. But I was meeting people; some of them were Christians, and they would talk about knowing Christ, but they never they didn't have access to a Bible; they didn't even have the Bible. And then, of course, I met other people later on down the road who who wouldn't even who who had no history with Christianity, but had a very real understanding and um they had a depth of of knowledge of what i would call the way or which which is the christ consciousness and and none of that came from the bible because they didn't read the bible because that wasn't even Uh their tradition yep yeah and you know and i love what you guys are saying i actually i'm agreeing i find myself agreeing with uh, with everything you guys are are saying here i i want to go back to because the answer at the very top of this, so you know, uh, Matt's answer to the question was that yes, the Bible is very helpful, and Jamal's answer was well, actually, no, the Bible is actually a problem, and I think actually I agree with both of you because I think it's I think it depends on it depends on how you approach the Bible. There you go. So uh, I would agree with Jamal. Like if you approach the Bible as well, this is it, right? This is all I can ever possibly ever know about Jesus, and it's right here in this book then this is the only way to know God and to know Jesus, uh, then I would agree. Yeah, if that's the way you're treating it, then this is not going to help you um, because you've not, you've not gone beyond the, the, the book to, to what it's meant to do, right? And um, so, so I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm actually in the middle of writing a book right now. I'm almost finished writing a book. Uh, my next book is going to be, sorry, quick plug. It's going to be called Jesus Unbound. And it's dealing with this whole idea of, you know, how do we approach the Bible, and how can we know Jesus apart from 
the scriptures and that kind of a thing. And so this is all like in fresh in my mind. And, you know, last podcast we talked about the, the topic was, you know, can, um, you know, you know, like, uh, do we worship a Bible? Do we worship a book? And, uh, and so, you know, if you're a biblicist, if you're someone who does worship a book, then what you've essentially done is you've come to the book, the book's told you about this Jesus person, and then you've stopped right there and closed the book up, and uh, you, you, that, all you've got is this story about someone. So it's sort of like it's like getting, so it's like someone handing you a map to Las Vegas, and uh, you you flip to the map and you see a little, oh, they have this and they have that, and that's going to be cool and all, and, uh, and then you, but you never go to Las Vegas, right? The, the, the map is intended to point you somewhere, so you can go, go somewhere and experience something. And I think that's the the disconnect for a lot of people. So if even if you're a biblicist, though, this is this is what I find fascinating. If you're someone who does believe, no, the Bible has all the information, uh, everything we need to know is in the Bible. The thing is that the Bible never points to itself as the source for life and truth. Um, you know, if you look at the Bible, what the Bible is going to tell you is that that the Word of God is a person, and that that Jesus uh, is that Word of God who became flesh and now lives within us. The Bible's going to tell you that Jesus said that he's the good shepherd and all of his sheep can hear his voice. All of us, not just pastors, not just people with seminary degrees. Everyone who's a follower of Christ can hear the voice of Jesus. So we can know him the way we know our own voice, the way we, that he's as close as our own heartbeat, right? Um, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. We all have the mind of Christ right now. That means we can, uh, as he says, we can discern the things that come from the Spirit of God because they're only discerned by the Spirit. Right, he says in First Corinthians two fifteen. So, um, oh, in other words, what you see over and over again affirmed in the book is that the book is saying, "No, listen, you can know this person, you can know God um, intimately, you can experience Him right now yourself." And over and over again, this is what the Bible is pointing us to. So, according to the Bible, you can know God, you can know Christ by the indwelling Spirit of God that lives within you. That's what the Bible teaches. And if you want to follow the Bible, if you really want to be, if you're committed to being a biblicist, then I think you have to be consistent and say, do what the Bible says. The Bible tells you and points you to an experience with God that you can have right now. But of course, that scares a lot of people. Totally, Keith. And I totally, I totally agree with that. That's... um. Like I have the thought of like, if you really want to be a biblicist, then it should lead you away from biblicism because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, that's a good, yeah. That's and good. it's like, it's like this idea, like I, one of the things I do appreciate about this, the writings and about the, um, you know, the, the gospel specifically is like, okay, we, it gives us a written account of Jesus about how he lived um, and things that he did, which I think is really helpful because he, obviously Jesus is. I believe him to be a standard uh, for for how humanity ought to be lived, and so like Jesus himself, mm-hmm. I just like okay. So what scriptures did he use? Like Jesus rarely used the scriptures, and when he did, he was arguing. So like he would use the scriptures yep. to to argue with uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders uh, when people were confused because of their their attachment to the scriptures. And of course, any kind of attachments always are going to blind you from reality. So I think about the two men walking, you know, after the, after the crucifixion and, you know, they were, they were upset, obviously the, these two disciples running, you know, coming from on the road to Emmaus or whatever. And Jesus meets them along the way and kind of explained uh, this reality of the resurrection and why the Christ must have died. You know, he explained all this through using their language of the scriptures, but these are the rare, or when he's quote quotes it to argue with the, 
the accuser, the adversary, the devil, however you want to interpret that, that story in the, in the wilderness. But other than those times, he did not use the scriptures to share the deeper things about the reality of Christ, which by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. He's talking about a reality, the way. And so he, what would he do? He would go to stories. He would tell stories that were not in the Bible. They were not in the, and again, the Jews did not have. Well, they are now. They are now, but like (laughs) the Jews, the the Jewish people had uh, a canon, you know, different canons, depending on which, which sects of Judaism you were from. So they weren't even sold on what was the scriptures in their day. So he didn't even actually, he kind of bypassed all that. He would talk about stories of, you know, father with two children. He would talk about the way nature operates, way birds operate. He would use the, the created realm to, to extract the reality of the nature of Christ. And so I'm just like, I, what I love to do when I'm talking with people about like, just the be- the beauty of the way of Christ. I rarely go to the Bible these days. I just talk about how nature works. I talk about how things I'm seeing in, in film or the things I'm realizing in my own life. I I just personally find that the Bible, it, it's necessary depending on your audience. Sometimes when you're talking to folks who are steeped in it, you kind of have to use the biblical language, but it's, it is to me a lower form um, of explaining the reality of Christ. I would much rather go to Disney movies, I would much rather go to love stories or nature itself, because I think it's a higher revelation of Christ, and just in my opinion. Um, I like that you talked about how Jesus uh, used the scriptures, and it's, it, it reminds me of Luke 4, you know, his first, his first teaching um, in the synagogue there in Nazareth, and he does this creative exegesis of Isaiah 61, where there's uh, a certain phrase, the, the the day of vengeance of our God, and he omits it and says, today the scriptures have been fulfilled. Um, you know, not for nothing, that pisses the crowds off. Then he talks about how no prophets welcome in mm-hmm. his hometown. Elijah and Elisha helped out non-Jews, um, including Naaman the Syrian, who killed Jewish uh, people mm-hmm. in, in, in wars and battles. And and then they, they want to throw Jesus off a cliff for what he does with the scriptures. Um, so it's no wonder that, that Jesus then sort of has a different approach later. Like he talks in parables. Um, he, like you, like you said, he goes outside Mm -hmm. of the Jewish tradition. He, uh, the, the Lazarus and the rich man, um, was an old, and correct me if I'm wrong, was an old Egyptian folklore tale that he then imports Jewish, you know, Jewish characters and, 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 you know, turns it into his own sort of story, but he's kind of borrowing that from from egypt um so yeah jesus jesus does use the scriptures but you're right it's not his it's not his primary focus and maybe that's because there was already this assumed way to interpret the scriptures and if you're going to mess with that then you're going to get tossed off a cliff i mean that's how i see luke 4 it's like right when he gets going in his ministry he's he's tested in the wilderness you know he's baptized tested in the wilderness comes back does his sermon and they're ready to be like Let's kill this guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I totally agree. And I think that, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because these are, these are kind of things that, you know, I think we run across because we're doing a lot of studying and reading stuff. You know, we, we come across things like that, like you said, Matt, about like that, uh, that parable of Lazarus and the rich man is not original with Jesus. Like it existed already. And they were, they, the people he was talking to probably already had heard a version of that before. And so he just kind of took it 
and and gave his sort of his version of that and and twisted it off in a different direction. Um, because we here's the thing about I think it's helpful to understand that about that parable because I know so many Christians who who will take that parable as if it was a true story. And it's actually telling us something about heaven and hell, and this is what it's like, you know, in, in uh, when you die and where you go. And it's like mm-hmm. as if it's like we're looking for factual, you know, information about the afterlife because of that parable. Like that is not at all what's going on there. That's not what Jesus is doing. I think actually we could get into a whole thing about that. Like that parable isn't even saying what most Christians right. think it's saying. It's not even about what they think it's about. Um, but that's again the danger of of looking at scripture and. Um, you know, the, the danger of, of saying, my English Bible says this right here. Look, I can read the words in English in my Bible. Therefore, the Bible says blank, and that's, you know, and then, and, and then this, is the, this is the truth. The problem is that, yeah, your English Bible does say those words in English, but, but behind that, there's all kinds of things that could be like, maybe that's translated wrong. Maybe there's a bias that's been inserted over centuries that people have put in there that, that isn't there in the original. Um, some things have been edited or altered or words have been removed, um, or, or there's a cultural context that you're completely oblivious to, that if you did do some studying and, did, and you found out the, the cultural context of, of what was going on around that time, you would understand that scripture right. so much better. Um, but again, most Christians don't take that time. <clears throat> They're just taking believing whatever the pastor says on Sunday morning and um, or their favorite Bible teacher or whatever. And, uh, and so then they're, you know, they don't really have a chance to believe anything other than what people are telling them the Bible means or says. Yeah, and Keith, I, I'm really glad you brought up, I think it's a huge point that you make about the parables, you know, like Jesus is telling a parable, and like and like people are like then trying to like latch onto that and be like, hey, so we can uh, extrapolate from this story about heaven and hell because of this parable that Jesus talked about, you know, the, the rich man and Lazarus and, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's like, it's like no, actually, we're... we're and this, the understanding of midrash, which is a Jewish concept of a midrash, is like a story. Basically, it's a story. It's what we call parables, but that's how they taught the deeper truths. Um, and this is what this is what Jews did so often. They would tell they, they these fictitious, elaborate stories about you know the Jews crossing the the Red Sea. You know, and of course, none of yeah, it's not. It's like historical fiction kind of things. Like it's not. It didn't actually happen that way. But there's a deeper truth that's being communicated. And if we're so tied to the the literalist approach to these to these stories, we're we're missing the point. And mm-hmm. I think that's I think it's a huge point. And I, I I like what is it about literalism that makes that makes folks want to throw people off cliffs? Like Matt, you were saying, like when Jesus, you know, approached this the their under their scriptures in a little different way, they wanted to throw the man off a cliff. Kind of like mm-hmm. Michael Servetus, like yes. <laughs> you know, like John Calvin wanted to burn this man alive, like and yep. in, in the name of being true to the Bible or to the Scriptures, like there's something really wrong with that. There's something bizarre. We're missing the main points, like filtering out the truth because we're so tied to the text. That's a problem. It is. It is a problem, and it's a problem when we. Um... Maybe it's just a Protestant problem. I, I don't know. Uh, where we we think that we can come to the scriptures, what is it, tabula rasa, without any presuppositions. And um, goodness gracious, like 
<laughs> our subjective experience should be uh, should just eliminate that because we always bring our subjective experience to the texts. Um, and that's why we need to be in a community of believers when we come to the text with everyone allowing uh, space to hear others' subjective, uh, um, subjective experience of, of person A, B, C, D, and, and bring all of that uh, to the table, um, which I think is in the spirit of Midrash. Like the rabbis would sit around and they would extrapolate like these deeper, like an onion, deeper and deeper meanings. Um, and they w- it wouldn't just be like we're all just in pro- in Protestantism. We seem to be just a bunch of um, our own personal popes. Like we're the inf- our ex- our interpretation is the interpretation of the Bible. So you know when people say the Bible's inerrant, I don't. They can't really mean. I think what they really truly mean, and maybe they don't mean this, but what they're saying is that my interpretation of the Bible is inerrant. And that 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 is a huge problem. That's why I like the like the Westland yes. quadrilateral, you know, where we um, reason, experience, tradition, and scripture. Um, we need our experience is a big part of that. And your experience, Keith, and your experience, Jamal, and my experience, and everyone's experience, and then coming together as a community to talk about the scriptures and and and. and and also include the voice of scholars and the deceased and our tradition. Um, that's why I like that quadrilateral. And then we get a way bigger holistic picture of how to approach the scriptures, uh, in, in my opinion. And not just, not just being sycophants and not just um, trying to get the right answer. What's the quote-unquote right answer to how we interpret the scripture? Um, you know, going back to Lazarus and the rich yeah. man, you know, the right interpretation is that there's a chasm that can't be fixed, so heaven and hell. And instead of, well, what is, what, what about if Jesus um, is, is what, bring, is what uh, alleviates that problem of the chasm? You know, we need to, we need to oh. throw these ideas back and forth with each other in a safe, I don't want to use safe space because people make fun of that, but in, in a safe environment, you know? Yeah, and, and I don't think it was ever meant to be like, the Bible in the sense, like if you go to a courtroom, you know, and um, you're on trial, people are quoting chapter and verse from legal jurisprudence as, as their argument. Like that, this is how lawyers deal with things, yeah. but we're not supposed to. And that's what the Pharisees. Yeah. It's, it's Pharisees and lawyers. We're not actually, that's not actually a good thing. So it's like, you know, yeah. what is it? Why is it that people don't fight wars over Disney movies? I'm, and that sounds ridiculous, but seriously, like nobody's like, there are no camps that are, that are like dividing from people over how Cinderella is interpreted or how like, Mm -hmm. you know, beauty and the beast is interpreted. There's something just, it's so disarming about the, the deeper truths. Now I honestly believe that a lot of Disney movies are just inspired by truth. And so like some beautiful things about love and uh, beautiful things about just acceptance and um, the, the original goodness of humanity. Some of these beautiful concepts are communicated in Disney movies. Unlike just, and this is my personal preference, unlike any other films out there. And again, but it's done in such a way that we're so disarmed. Um, and I think there's just such a beauty about getting back to that. You know, I really, I, I would agree. Yeah. I, I would say, except for the Aristocats, that film is, is trash. It's like, <laughs> There's no redeeming value. Now that might be heresy, though, right there. I, mean, I don't know. The whole look, the whole plot of the Aristocats is they're there. The kittens are there. The guy steals them. They walk back home. The end. That's the whole plot. <laughs> it's horrible. 
<laughs> well, Jamal, I would I would say this, um, and I would say that Disney movies and any film that has truth and that we can say is inspired is because of the gospel has completely um, completely subverted the myth making that we do where we uh, paper over our victimization of others and that we always think the gods need placating and the gospel has completely blown that apart um, and subverted it in the, in the biggest of ways. And now we can't, like a virus, we can't help um, just infuse our stories with gospel themes. Um, which is why I think, like going back to Disney, like the Moana movie, if you watch... If you watch those, um, some of the imagery, like when she goes up to the mountain to place her stone, that's all super sacrificial. That's an altar of ritual up there. That's a, that's where sacrifices are made. And then the last thing that she does at the end of the movie, she puts a conch shell on top. And I interpret that as like, you can't put more sacrifices on top of a conch shell because it'd break this conch shell. It was like stone after stone in this altar. And, and the top of it was a conch shell. And I just see that as like, Jesus is the sacrifice to end sacrifice. And so yes. that theme gets infused into our art and our film and our TV. And, and, and like, I think we talked about it in the last, like, I don't think the writers of Disney are meaning to do this. I just think it's the gospels of virus and it's infusing its, and in a good way, it's infusing itself throughout yes. humanity in ways that um, we can't really put words onto it, I don't think. Yeah, and I don't think, and I think that, that that's, that's the transcendent way, um, you know, some of these themes of Disney movies, um, but also it's, 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 ha- it's been happening in humanity for a long time, even before Jesus. There was, this was happening because this is the reality, it's the transcendent reality. Um, obviously, I think we see it in a human being lived out in a very unique way through Jesus, no question. But this is like again, and you know, I just li- I was actually listening to a podcast recently about a man who now he would he would ascribe to, he would claim to be a, um, a follower of Jesus or a, um, he 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 views himself like Jesus. Uh, he calls himself a Christian, but before he had this dream, but you know, he was not a, raised in the, any kind of religious environment. He never read the Bible, but he had this dream. It was like a sure. lucid dream, the idea of being mm-hmm. in a dream and you're, you're aware that you're dreaming. And so he had this, this, this dream happening in which men were trying to kill him. They, they caught him, they tied him down. Um, and they, one of the guys like stabbed him through the chest and he remembers Knowing it was a dream, yet it was so real to him that it, it was like this, the pain was like, just filled all, like every cavity of his body. It was excruciating. And he knew this is an end. This represents, this dream is representing the end of something. So when he wakes up out of his dream, he said he was filled with the most, he said he he could see how everything was connected. He could see beauty and love everywhere. It was totally transformed. He woke up from that. People thought, my gosh, you're not the same person. And every, he would start to interact with people. They go, what happened to you? Um, and he literally had what he calls himself a born-again experience. He became awake to this reality that he was his source was always God, that everybody comes from God, everything's beautiful, uh, that love is the, is the pr- paramount way of life. And he has since like come into the, his, his true, what he calls him, his true self and his true purpose in life. And none of that came yeah. through the Bible. Uh, for him, it just was a, a picture of reality, and I really believe that this is this is what's happening below the surface 
um, this transcendent way that's going, that's, that's communicating to people from all kind of different walks of life. And I think you can find that in the Bible, obviously. And obviously Jesus is, is doing something very unique in, in, in and through his life. But this is, this is an eternal, timeless, transcendent way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I want to just, we have like only maybe the last 10 minutes here, um, kind of pull us back. I love this conversation, but let's pull us back to the original question, right? So if we're saying, and I think we're all in agreement and on this point, that yes, it is possible to know Jesus or to know God apart from the Bible, even though it might be helpful in some ways, but maybe, you know, damaging in other ways. Um, what are some other ways? So let's just, can we come up with some, either some uh, bullet lists or some even specific stories? I mean, you just gave us a good story there, Jamal, but are there other, what are some other ways that we can know Jesus uh, or know God outside of the Bible? Uh, I love nature, to be honest with you. I feel like it's a place where you can quiet your mm-hmm. mind and you can, um, you can, you know, if you focus your breathing and you're meditative in, in that, um, you can actually listen. I, I know I'm a damn hippie, but you can, I mean, I, I think that's why Jesus, I mentioned it a couple podcasts ago, that's why Jesus was always like removing himself um, out into the wilderness. Like I think in John six fifteen, like they want to make him king. He goes and distances himself and goes out um, into the wilderness. And so that's just where I find uh, peace and a way to still the constant chatter of the ego that's Const. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes there's so much damn chatter in my head. Like when you can get out in nature on a cool fall day, like it is here in Northern California. Um, maybe some rain in the air. It's just you go on top of a mountain, and I swear, like you, that chatter just stops. At least for me, for the most part. And uh, I know that's some hippie shit, but <laughs> that that's just where I. That's no, where no, I, find, I love that. That's where I find in experience of God most, most all the time. Matt, that's beautiful. I, I totally, totally agree with that. For me, I mean, nature is one way, but for me, I, I think my preference, and this may sound a little weird, but man, I just love to look at people because when I, I, especially if I'm in relationship with people, like to me, sometimes sometimes it is through text messages. Like I love to send people like love bombs, you know, and just, just overt, like just gushy messages through text. I love to, when I receive that, but for me, like looking in the eyes of another human being, even doesn't even matter what they're really saying or what's going on. Sometimes, sometimes I just get lost. I'm like sitting over coffee and maybe somebody's talking about something that's completely unrelated. And sometimes their eyes will pull me in. It's yeah. and I'll just get immersed into their eyes. And like, I'll see, some kind of depth um, of being that goes way beyond the, the person sitting there. It's like they're portals to me of of bliss. It's so weird. I don't even know, <laughs> but I love it, and I feel like I have this such a. I become aware of love. I become aware of the beauty of God. Of like how beautiful. Like this person is literally the image of love of God sitting right in front of me and their eyes are like captivating me and pulling me in. It's like the most beautiful thing. It's my, I can't get over it. It's like, to me, like I just admire, I love the people watch, but specifically if I'm in a relationship with them and I'm just like, it's the best. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I would encourage everybody uh, listening to this podcast that to, to, if you have never, if you have never experienced Jesus outside of a, a book, if you've never experienced Jesus 
you know, really experienced him for yourself outside of the Bible to begin looking for him. I mean, I, I think what we're talking about, uh, we've experienced it ourselves. We, we, we know other people who've shared experiences like this, that it is, it is possible. I want to encourage you that it is possible and, and to begin looking for it, right? To begin looking for Jesus in community with other people. Uh, begin listening for Jesus, uh, his voice in meditation or prayer or in nature or just even your daily life experiences, going to work, you know, at the, being at the park with your kids or talking to, to a stranger. If you, if you have a chance to you know, minister to somebody who's homeless. I mean, I, I, my wife and I have had some really amazing experiences of Jesus with, in that capacity. It's been so beautiful and so powerful to experience Jesus in those kinds of moments. So uh, I think not only is it possible, I would really strongly encourage you that there is more of Christ to know than you know. Uh, and that if, if all you've got so far is the Bible, great, that's good. But please go beyond that. Please, please move forward in your relationship. You know, we use this all the time. We, we continually, you know, in Christianity, we use these phrases all the time, but we never really live them out, right? We talk all the time, like, oh, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, or I gave my life to Jesus. But we don't really mean that. We haven't actually, you know, many of us, have never really fully gone on to have an actual relationship, right? And that means you have a conversation. That means you're listening. That means, you know, you're you're seeing the other. You're seeing Jesus in other people, and that's what I'm excited about. I want people to move on to that that next phase of their of their walk with Jesus. Yeah, and I think another another uh, you know encouragement I would I would give to folks is is dropping attachments. I think anytime we have an attachment to anything, it's there is a fear, so to speak, behind it. And that's what an attachment is. It's a fear that if I don't attach to this thing, then I'll miss something, I'll lose something. I think people get attached to the Bible because they're afraid of either yep. being deceived, deception. They're afraid of missing out on, you know, like how the Bible is the highest form of revelation. And so therefore, if I don't attach to it, you know, I, I'm going to miss something, the real essence. You know, we used to, you know, I remember being in Bible college, we learned about special revelation and general revelation. And the idea was that in creation, creation was general revelation, but it wasn't like specific enough to actually save you. So, and then of course, uh, there was the idea of special revelation, which is only comes through the Bible. Of course, we never questioned what the Bible was. We just said it comes through the Bible and you need special revelation for salvation. Um, and I think that's where the attachment comes in because it, first of all, it's an illusion. It's like, if I don't have the Bible, then I can't know what I need to know to actually be saved, which is again, what does that mean? <laughs> it's like, right, right. no, actually, if we look at the example of Jesus, I think we would see the opposite. We would see him pointing to the created realm and saying, hey, guys, there is so much beauty about how much you're loved, how much you're provided for, how much, um, you know, all these different components of what we would call the gospel is literally infused in every every aspect of creation. So lose, losing the attachment to the Bible will actually open up our ability to perceive the way of Christ, the reality of Christ in everything. And I think you have to drop the attachment. So attachment is literally like taking your blinders off so that you can see. So drop the attachment, you drop your blinders. Now that reminds me of a joke, if I could throw that in. And I apologize to the listeners because in the last... Um, the last episode, I totally dropped the ball on the dad joke thing, and I'm sorry. So, um, but I do have one for this episode. 
And um, speak, specifically speaking of attachment, you know, because folks are attached to the Bible out there, and I just want us all to drop it, you know. Um, we can we can learn a lot from the Buddhist vacuum cleaner. Have you guys heard about the Buddhist vacuum cleaner? No, I haven't. I'm, I feel like I'm about to. Yeah, it, it, it's really awesome. It comes with no attachments. Whoa. <sighs> well, I think, you know what, to be honest with you, that was better than that other joke about the frayed knot. Because I agree. at least well, yes, at least absolutely. this one was brief. <laughs> that 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 other one was holy shit. That was a bad one. Oh, there it is. It was delayed. Hey, but I had a I had a thought. I you know what I find interesting is that a lot of people, and I don't want to just shit on biblicists all day, but a lot of people who do say that you need the Bible, it's it's really interesting that. They also say that people, well, first they believe, they generally believe in eternal torment, but then they sort of come up with this thing like, well, but if you never, if they never get preached the gospel, or if you never bring a Bible to them, like they're often, I don't know, some sub-Saharan um, tribe, or if they're in some, you know, Amazonian rainforest, you know, down there, and they never get the gospel, they never get the Bible, then somehow they're like off the hook. But that, I mean, they're let, they're let off the hook. So it, it makes me think like, well, why would you ever bring them a Bible then? <laughs> like, like it seems like it's way <laughs> too risky. Like, if I was, if I was in, it's reverse evangelism. It, 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 that's what it makes. That I think there's that meme of, uh, um, I forget some sort of uh, First Nations people where. You like he bring him the Bible and he's like, well, why did you? The, the punchline is, is, why did you even tell me about this? Because you would have been let off the hook and you wouldn't have gone to hell if you never heard about it. Of course, God's not that terrible. But now that I've heard about it, now I have some eternal ultimatum to make, and it's like, well, it almost seems to me like the like then then get rid of the then burn all the Bibles. I mean, you know, don't don't. don't. Yeah, well, you know, it almost makes the it's not the good news; it's the bad news. I got the bad news for you because after I tell it to you, you were good until I brought the Bible to you, and now you've you've got to understand it well enough to make the right choice and have the right um, establish the yeah. right doctrines based on this Bible. That just seems like that should be a key that uh, that this is the wrong way to look about things. It's like almost our whole way of evangelism gets reduced to an absurd way of looking at it. At least that was for me, it was like, why would I tell people who've never heard about this that you have now some risky choice to make? That seems, that seems terrible, bur- terribly burdensome. Um, I, I have a friend who, he, um, he kind of gets on me from time to time, and he tells me, Jamal, I'm really concerned about you because, you know, your stance on the Bible is like, like you've really just cut your legs off for having any authority because now you don't, you don't, you don't prop up the Bible as your sole authority. And yet he would agree, like, this is a friend of mine who we're in agreement on so many things, specifically, like, he's come out of kind of the more of the institutional church world. He believes that the clergy-laity divide, you know, is not biblical. He believes, you know, actually referring to church as a building as opposed to a uh, a group of a community of people, he would say, oh, yeah, that's not biblical. But, like, he's really—he thinks I'm—I, le- like, walked off the deep end because I don't affirm— the the Bible as the sole authority, yet he still listens to folks like a lot of these preachers, these people out there that are like, you know, the the you know, I don't want to drop yeah. names, but you know, these folks, John MacArthur's and the, you know, the, the all these folks that really emphasize the authority of the scriptures, and he recognizes that almost everything they do is not biblical. So it's like, well, wait a minute. Their biblicism, 
their 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 belief in the inerrancy of scriptures hasn't helped them be believe and see through the things that are clearly not biblical that you agree are not biblical. So how is it helping them? Uh, my point is to is to biblicists is like, is it working for you? Like it ain't even working for you. you and so many people recognize that so much of what the church does is not biblical, yet they're hanging on to the Bible, and yet it doesn't stop them from believing in illusions. Yeah, it's so well, ridiculous. I, I see, that's my my problem as well. Like I, I just, um, I mean, I get it. I, again, I think we're all in prog- process, and and uh, I certainly went through my phases where I was. You know, I was standing up and saying I believed and it was, I wanted to be biblical and the Bible was our own authority and all that stuff. So it's only been in the last few years, um, the more I continue to read and study and think, that I'm beginning to doubt and question those kinds of ideas. Um, but yeah, it's like, um, I, I think you have to, uh, hopefully, you know, you we are growing and we are asking questions and we are uh, realizing that, yeah, our, our authority I mean, to me, our authority really should be, it's Christ. And, and yes, we do need to know him. And, and yes, we, we can begin to know information about him through the Bible. But then we actually have a relationship with him that's not dependent upon the Bible uh, and an experience of him. Um, and, and then, you know, part of that relationship with him and getting to know him is learning to, to have the mind of Christ and learning how to think like him and love like him and behave like him. And then, then that should be what's informing your future, not can I find it in verse chapter, you know, so and so, like, um, because that whole idea, this whole idea of, uh, you know, we want more biblical Christians and we want a more biblical world. Well, I honestly, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't want a more biblical world because a biblical world is one where, uh, in the Bible, I can justify right. all yep. kinds of horrible things, right? Genocide, um, patriarchy, um, you know, uh, the bishop class of, of clergy and all that stuff. Uh, no, I don't want that. I don't want a. I don't want genocide that's justified. I don't want uh, you know um, marginalizing uh, people who are LGBTQ because well the Bible says I don't want a biblical world. I want a Christ-like world. Uh-oh. And you have to, yeah. I think you you have to reach a point where, unfortunately, I do think there's a choice you have to make. People say, well, Keith, you're putting you're pitting Jesus against the Bible. Well, yeah, I guess in a way I kind of am. But um, but I think if you're given a choice, you you should choose Christ um, and not a book which is rigid and complicated and has all kinds of problems, unfortunately, that, um, as we've said already, can, can some ways hinder us from knowing right. God and which, knowing who um, Jesus really is. Which actually brings us to what our next episode is going to be, and we're going to move on and talk about the biblical canon, and we're going to talk about the voices of Scripture. And... Um, Yeah, it's going to be a good one, I think. Uh, I had a fun time with this one. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, and I, you know, guys, I don't know if we mentioned this, but we have a hotline, and the folks can call into that. Call into that. Uh, I don't know if we gave the number out. I don't even know. I don't have the number right here in front of me. Does anybody have the number? What is it? 2403-HERESY. 2403-HERESY. Give us a call. Or queue up a text. 